The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. SAFM. Yeah. 
It's uh, 11 minutes past 8 o'clock. Welcome to it. This is The Viewpoint here on SAFM 104 to 107. Welcome to it on this 19th of June, this uh, Wednesday. My name is Asanda Beda. Starting things off for us there. That's the song you just heard now. So do call us on 0891-104-207 for your interactions during our show. You can also WhatsApp your views uh, via voice notes. The number for WhatsApp is 061 410 You can hashtag SAFM Viewpoint on Twitter at SAFM Radio is our handle there. You can also SMS us on 41391. SMSs are charged at 150 per SMS. Lots of ways to contact us and interact with us. And of course, we always appreciate hearing from you. So coming up on this first hour of The Viewpoint, we talk about the Boibatong massacre. And uh, joining us in studio is Monaco Dibetle, who's former Mail and Guardian journalist as well as PR and marketing specialist, amongst other things. Uh, and then on the other side of uh, half past Past eight, uh, we'll be calling or opening the calls for you to tell us about, uh, well, the SONA, which is all we're talking about, the State of the Nation address uh, for from the President, which will be happening, taking place tomorrow in Cape Town. Uh, so we'll be giving you a chance to give last-minute presidential advice for the SONA. Also, maybe tell us what you think uh, the President is going to be touching on more specifically and more importantly. So that's the first hour of The Viewpoint. And this is SAFM leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. As part of Youth Month this June, we look at various life-changing moments of our country's history that young people need to be educated and engaged on. Today, we zoom in on the Boipatong Massacre. On 17 June 1992, the Joe Slovo informal settlement in Boipatong outside Ferienegang was attacked by a group of about 300 armed men from Kwamadala Hostel in nearby Sibukeng Township. The armed men were affiliated to the Inkata Freedom Party, the IFP, and observers suspected that the attack was aimed at undermining the negotiation process between the then Nationalist Party, the NP uh, government, and the African National Congress, the ANC. In response to the Massacre, the ANC withdrew from the negotiations, blaming the NP government for the attack. So, more than the political effects of the massacre, which have been documented around or amongst South Africa's history, were the many lives and families that were negatively impacted by this part of our history. So, joining us is Monaco Dibetli now to unpack this. He is former Mail and Guardian journalist as well as PR and marketing specialist. Uh, of course, you can call us for your views and questions. Uh, on 0891 You can WhatsApp us 061 Welcome to The Viewpoint, Mona. Thank you very much, Asanda. <laughs> uh, lovely to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. So, I mean, this is an important part of our South, South African history, more specifically the, the violent moments of South Africa's struggle, political struggle, that is. It generated condemnation for the IFP and, and Chief Mangosutu Butele is the leader. Uh, was this a way, in your view, let's start with maybe getting a little bit political, mm-hmm. of deviating from the faults of the NP mm-hmm. and a, a strategy of sowing divisions amongst the, the black movements that were at the, par, at the time mm-hmm. in terms of where the blame for political violence should lie mm. look um uh, and i think it's quite important to 
to you know uh, reflect on on what was the the atmosphere and the environment in the country back then mm-hmm. um you know before you get to a point where you unravel you know the impact of the massacre because it it was you know it was sort of kind of a deep uh, impact that it had in some people's lives you know directly and indirectly mm-hmm. um but then you know the issue emanates from a a you know a situation where there were two conflicting political parties mm. basically these two parties are fighting for for territory mm. um and then now it just happens that the Wipato massacre happens but then obviously uh, as we've seen uh, over time there was um you know speculation mm-hmm. of a third force mm. that was working you know behind you know this kind of violence that that you know ultimately became you know known as the the Wipato massacre mm. so the the speculation of the third force who was uh, that third force look uh, and the Colstone commission has has reflected on this so after you know, a long you know process of investigations mm. they they pointed the finger towards the police mm. uh, the south african defense force back then and some other you know private security companies who were instigating the violence uh you know between the ANC and the Inkata Freedom Party yeah Okay, so besides, you know, the pointing of fingers, after the massacre uh, of 18 June 1992, Joe Slovo and Cyril Ramaphosa visited Boipatong. Uh, Ramaphosa accused the clerk and the, off- and the police of complicity uh, in the massacre. And then on 19 June, uh, religious figures like Bishop Desmond Tutu also went there and Ray Macaulay to visit the grieving families. Uh, what does uh, what does it say about the black community supporting each other during the struggle and, and the role that religion played in offering its own support? Look, divisions were already sown between you know you know in the society you know in general the black society in general mm. because remember you have a situation where there's migrant workers who stay at Kwamadala Hostel and you have the residents of Bipatong. Um, and in Wipatong now, you have the SDUs, you know, the, the special defense units who are protecting the interests of the people of Bipatong. Uh, and then they are basically what we call Komtsotis. So basically they are members of, they are supporters of the ANC, not necessarily members. Mm. They are they are supporters of the ANC and the whole, you know, um, uh, revolutionary kind of movement of trying to, to change the country from what it used to be to to what we eventually got after 1994 and we have the Inkata Freedom Party with migrant was, workers coming out of northern KwaZulu Natal mm. coming to Joburg to work uh, they are not part of the society they 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 are basically living amongst themselves whereas they find themselves within the geography of the of the of the of the township mm. um, so so divisions were already sown so by the time all these you know big people came in they they came in to come and and quell the fire that had already been sparked. Mm. And they come in later when everybody has died. Families have lost their, their loved ones. Um, you know, innocent people died on the streets of Ipatong. Uh, if you read more on this topic, you'd realize that, you know, people were sleeping mm. when, when, when the instigators came in. You mm. know, some people were, were, were in their beds when they were stabbed with, with, with uh, spears and, and were cut with machetes. Mm. So, so it, it, was a, it was a sign, really, of... Uh, of of, of trying to, to fix a situation, but then it was already gone. Mm. Families had lost their loved ones. And, and how do you rectify that? 
And there was anger amongst the community. Was it surprising that after F.W. de Klerk went to Boipatong to show some sort of sympathy for the victims that the residents were even more agitated and angered by the visit? Look, when you read uh, Alista Sparks's, uh, I think it's Tomorrow is Another Country book, I think it was written in 1994, he, 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 he sort of, he accounts uh, on on what really happened on that particular day. He happened to be there with his family mm. when Ditlek uh, visited Bipatong. Um And he tells of a story of anger uh, that was demonstrated by the community members of Bipatong mm. after the massacre to the point that they chased the, uh, Ditlek and his, his guys out of, yeah. the, of the township. Um, and the fact that, you know, there, there, there were still elements of, of police trying to to stop you know uh, the, the the community members from from venting out and and, yeah. and showing their anger, mm. so they were quite restrained. And on that particular day, the police still shot at some members of the community. Mm. We are talking the Boibatong massacre here on the viewpoint with Monaco Debatele, former Mail and Guardian journalist and PR marketing specialist. Uh, maybe you're hearing about it for the first time as a young person. Do call us uh, if you have questions and if you know of uh, you know the massacre and maybe you would have been one of the people affected. We'd love to hear from you as well. Oh eight nine one one oh four two oh seven is the number to call. You can SMS us on four one three nine one. SMSs are charged at one hundred fifty per SMS. Our time being 20 past uh, 8. So you have a personal uh, connection to the Boipatong uh, massacre as your, your late father was right there as part of the, the police. Uh, tell us more. Yes. So uh, after the massacre, uh, my father was sent to, to Boipatong as, as part of the riot policing process. Um, so he had done a lot of, uh, of riots over time, you know, from, you know, back in 1976 with the riots in Soweto. Uh, he had done a lot of uh, border control or border patrol um, as a member of the South African police back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did, he did the, I remember he did the Namibian border, he did the Mozambican border. Uh, so in 1992, I sent to, to Bipadong. Uh, as part of, of this, you know, peacekeeping process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, he, he was there for some time. I was not quite sure. I, I can't actually remember how long it was, but I think it was about two months, if not three months, that mm-hmm. he spent there. And it seemed like the longest time ever. Um, and then he came back after the massacre. Mm. Um, and remember, all, all, all that they had gone there to do was to, to keep the peace yeah. because now the, the community was retaliating. Uh, so there was instability in the township and... And the people are not happy. Mm. So he came back a couple of months later, but he had, he had changed. He was no longer the very same person mm. that he used to be. Mm. Uh, I'd known my father to be a casual, you know, alcohol drinker. Mm. Uh, he was always like a nice, quiet guy. Uh, he came back. And upon his return, he had changed. He was drinking more. Uh, he was sort of demonstrating some behavior that... You know, it, it about more on like violence mm. um, and he he started sort of, you know, being a little bit irresponsible in terms of, you know, him being a father, him being a husband. Mm. Um, there were instances when we did not know where he was. Um, you know, so he just sort of, you know, did not take care of the family anymore. And uh, quite a lot of things happened um, that 
that sort of showed that you know something had had moved mm. uh and ultimately really we we found out and this was years later just before he left the force uh that he had what they call cerebral atrophy so he he had some brain damage mm. uh and then you know you, you can easily you know attribute it to to the trauma that he experienced over time when he did the border you know patrols when he did the the you know the the riots you know through throughout uh, the 70s and the 80s with the state of emergencies because at some point he was even talking about the fact that he had he, he had shot at people uh during his his work mm. but he did not even know whether those people lived or or died so there, there seemed to be quite a lot of trauma that he had experienced but then to point it to and link it directly to this it, it, it's something that you know it was never established mm. but i can tell you one thing you know upon his return he was a, a changed person speaking also to you know just the general history and the families and what they experience i mean you are literally an example of a child of you know the the, the effects of what pol- the political struggle has meant to the breakdown of a family or the changing you know of of uh, relationships within families mm-hmm. okay let's not get too personal uh, <laughs> the, the sentiments now with the communities it's 27 years later uh, whether or not the country's leaders care uh, mm-hmm. about you know the the, li- the lives that are lost and the lives that have changed w- do you think communities are thinking that maybe let's take a short break before we answer that uh, our chat continues with monaco dibetle uh, on the Boibatong massacre stay with us this is the viewpoint Miles Apart, Miles Together, a brand new show that reunites you with your loved one. SABC3 is looking for you to be part of this amazing new reality show. You can enter in two ways. Send us a video explaining who you would like to surprise by bringing a loved one from overseas. Or you can send us a video about a family or close friends event you would like to go to in South Africa to surprise a loved one. Who knows? Miles apart, miles together could arrange these surprises for you. To enter, send your video via WhatsApp to 060-642-9257. That is 060-642-9257. Miles apart, miles together. Reuniting loved ones. Brought to you by SABC3. This youth month, SABC Sport is calling for the best school war prize of 2019. If you think your school has the best gears, all you have to do is send your most epic school war video not more than a minute during your school sport event. Drop us an email to warcrychallenge at sabcsport.co.za to nominate your school. Remember to leave us your details. What's in it for the winners? Bragging rights for the winning school, a chance to rep your school on national television, and the top three schools will all win a smart UHD TV set valued at 7,000 Rand each. Competition entries close on the 21st of June, 2019. Terms and conditions are Check out sabcsport.co.za for more details. Hashtag Warcry Challenge on SABC Sport. SABC Sport for the love of the game. SAFM leading the conversation. The viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. 
On the viewpoint, we're speaking to Monaco Dibetle, talking about the Boipatong massacre. Uh, this is uh, SFM, of course, 104 to 107. You can still call in 0891-104-207. You can SMS us 41391. So before we took the break, I mean, we're, we're asking 27 years later, we'll take the call now from Mike, but 27 years later, the, the people of Boipatong, do they feel the leadership of the country now cares on the lives that have been lost uh, and also the lives that have been changed because you've been following the story over and above the pain that you've experienced yourself and your family look over uh, you know the, the years I've, I've i've made it a point to visit uh we part doing at the least six months apart um and i've i've realized that there hasn't been any change uh in terms of you know the the development of the lives of the people of Bipatong, um, in terms of the infrastructural development of the area. Mm. I think Bipatong is one of the very few townships in this country that still uh, does not have you know, asphalt or tarmac in some of its avenues. Mm. Um, look, the Bipatong of 1992 is the Bipatong of 2019. Wow. Um, and funny enough, uh, this is where our our constitution was signed at George Tavis Stadium. Mm. So if you drive around Bipatong and you go past George Tavis Stadium, um, I don't know recently, but then the last time I, I was there, which was late last year, mm. George, Ta- George Tavis Stadium was still looking like a hulk. It was, it, it was beaten down. It was no longer like a, an infrastructure mm. that you know you can go there and do something at. It was like a dump site. Mm. But then this is the site of the signing of this very celebrated you know, constitution that everybody marvels at. Yeah. Uh, Mike is calling from Durban. Let's take the call. Welcome to The Viewpoint. How are you? I'm well. And I'm, uh, Asanda, I'm a, I happen to be a member of the IFP. I joined around about 88 or 89. Mm-hmm. I'm a 1940 model. I've been through rights. I was in the Army 1961. Uh, saw the riots here in 1959. Uh, I actually met one or two of the riots unit guys that were there that day. Mm. Now, I know these these uh, IFP, these Zulu people, they don't go attacking someone unless they are provoked. They must have been provoked. There was discussion about that. I happen to have in my possession a file that a, uh, a deceased, when he gave it to me before he died, a, a military intelligence officer, dated from 1977 to 1988, the war between the AMC and the in Uh In Natal, we had no less than 20,000 people killed here died in that, in that skirmish. In 1990, there were a huge group of youngsters sent down from Soweto to attack the IFP in the Tolhea. Are you aware of that? Okay. I think your man, ex-male and guardian, will possibly know that. Yeah. Uh, we had killing left, right, and center. I actually went to mortuaries looking for one of the IFP guys' brothers once down the south coast. And I zipped up in a body bag, and there was a man in there 
with his left leg attached and someone else's left leg where his right leg was lying. <laughs> and I made the mochi guy. I said to him, please take it out. It's your tradition to burn, to, to bury the man's bones. You're burying someone else's bones with this man. We had held him in, in the town here. Mike, were you was, part of the, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that offered more light on, on this issue? No, no. I was, uh, uh, I went to the army in 1959 for four years. Uh, we got thrown down from Poch in the coaches in 1961 to Durban. There was the servants in Katamana. Uh, we didn't shoot anyone. We, we had to have ammunition. We ringed Katamana. The police went in and raided there. I've actually had tangible experience of this. As far as I'm concerned, the Boy Patong massacre, those people were instigated by some, something made them do it. Thanks for that, your call, Mike. Let's, let's leave it there on that note. So, that was I mean, the talk is the time. And by the way, I was with Putulezi when he signed with Mandela to come into the election. Thank you so much for your call. Thanks, thanks to uh, Mike and Durban. So, I mean, also adding to the speculation of uh, there's another different recollection of what happened. He was, he says he was a part of that. Um, but we know there was also the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that uh, took place. Then after South Africa's first elect, uh, uh, democratic elections were held, less, this is two years later now after this massacre. First of all, you know, what Mike is saying um, is his recollection. We, we don't want to nullify it. But at the same time, uh, there are lots of speculations on this and different views and, and, and uh, different recollections of it. But if we focus just on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that attempted to address maybe all of these speculations, do you think it helped? Look, um, and I, I value uh, Mike's uh, you know, point and, and participation in this discussion. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing. The TRC uh, itself, um, it, it tried to heal the wounds, uh, but I don't think it achieved its purpose. And, and why it failed is because not a lot of people came up to, you know, to talk about what happened in Bipatong. Mm. That was the first. And, and secondly, a lot of people... Um, who would be in a position to come up and and talk more about the you know what happened on the night of 19 June 1992? Uh, you know, did not come forth to come and talk about what happened on that particular night. Mm. But then there was this one Johannes Mbata, uh, and his name is sort of littered all over you know the reports um, of the TRC. He came out to to you know tell of how. He hid himself mm. during that uh, the eventful uh, night and followed some of the people that he thought they were members of Inkata. And these people were, were, were wearing blackface. And he realized later that they actually were white people who happened to be police officials. Mm. And the very same police officials were the ones who came the following day to come and make statements. And he could recognize their voices. He could recognize some of their faces. So, so it, it talks about you know a TRC that tried to get people to talk about this issue, but but not a lot was was achieved. Uh, and if you can also remember, Asanda was that mm. a lot of records around Bipato massacre were lost. Mm. 
to this day i think this 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 issue it is one of the least documented massacres that we've ever had in this country yeah um and that's why even today when you start talking about it uh, you know people get seriously angry because there was no closure the Goldstone uh, commission came up and said look there is involvement of the third force but then that was it mm. you know where are those people and by the way just just sort of to add to this discussion i, I met this gentleman the other day who happened to be a former riot police official who happened to be uh, at Bipatong on that you know, eventful night mm. and i started asking questions about you know what really happened he said you know what i i can't even remember a lot of things that happened all I can tell you is that we went in the following day and there were, you know, body bags all over the place. Uh, the mortuaries were packed. We had to take, you know, some people from uh, from Bipaton to mortuaries in Johannesburg because the mortuaries in Vanderbilt Park and Ferenheim were full. Uh, but I, sa I said, but then what do you remember more about this, you know, mm. and what, what, what was really happening? Do you think there was a threat for us? He says, you know what, I can't tell you much because um, immediately after that, uh, I was rendered medically unfit mm. by the force, mm. and then I was I was given a high dose of medication. I don't know what was in there, but then he says most of it was to make them forget. Mm. So this is him telling and me. And already trauma does that naturally on its own. Of course. So, so now he 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 goes into this uh, medical facility to maybe calm down the trauma or to help him with the trauma that they suffered during the, this uh, experience. But then he says in the process, he, he forgot quite a lot of things that he saw mm. or experienced during that time. So that's why would you say then the Goldstone, uh, Goldstone uh, Commission didn't really shed light in the matter because there were so many variables to this. The fact that there was so much trauma, the fact that people were rendered unfit medically, and maybe some people didn't even want to speak. Yes, um, look, and, and there was also an element of fear. You know, yeah. you, you come out and you talk about what really happened and, and, and then who knows what's going to be the repercussions thereof. But, but then, look, and not to sort of uh, point a finger at the Coldstone Commission, I think it achieved what it wanted to achieve, mm. uh, to find out what was the, the reason behind so much public violence in the country between 1990 and 1994. Um, and, and it pointed at a, a third force. Yeah. But then who who was giving orders for, for the development of the th third force and for the participation of the third force in this thing? Yeah. We still don't know. And that's why, you know, people go around and say there are still people who are still, you know, in the public space politically that can still mm. help us to unravel this matter. Yeah, I had a feeling this was going to go on longer than we had planned because we're supposed to be out by now. But let's let, let's try and, and wrap up in a bit. Uh, you can still call us on 0891-104-207. We're supposed to be talking about advice for Sona for tomorrow now, but we're talking still to Monaco Debate about the Boibatong massacre. The, an SMS reads here, to me I find no complaints from the black side for those murders. Excuse me, to come and confess their deeds like Rodriguez. Uh, it's a pity this government of ours is busy chasing the Zumas, the Yengenis, the John Blocks, but they leave the Declecs, the Adrian f uh, Flocks, enjoying their lives freely. Boy Patong Massacre. Declec is free. This is Tami from Nkandla. Are uh, lots of community members feeling this way as well from Boy Patong? Yes, so it has been the sentiment of Mipatong for for as long as you know this this issue has been you know what it is, 
and and obviously it goes back to 1992 when Ditlek visited the township after the massacre and he was chased out and mm. I don't think he's ever gone back there. Um, Is it a case of the black side did not complain or they did and they just felt like they were not heard and they gave up? Also, look, I mean, dealing with their grief. Yeah. Look, I think I think sometimes, and this is my personal view. When when you look at where we Patong is, uh, it's a very, it's, it's a very disenfranchised uh, community. Mm. It, it, it on the outskirts of, of the Isco mine, um, Isco factory. I'm sorry. Um, you know, there's there's too much pollution. There's there's not so many th- beautiful things happening in that place. And I think. If we were to sort of look at the statistics, not too many people from there are educated uh, to the level that you know it's it's it's, mm. it's, it's you know it's commendable. Um, it's it's poor people and poor households. I think most of them don't necessarily have the means to can you know put up a fight like you know what the Sowetans did, mm. uh, or maybe the people somewhere from 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 the Western Cape, you know the the the, the, the townships in the in the Western Cape. Uh, so I, f- I find them to be to be locked in, and mm. and not really coming out and and talking about this as much as they have, uh, they're supposed to do. But but then I see there's a movement. I saw it online the other day. I forget the name. It is trying to get people from from the region, from the Val Triangle, to come out and talk about these atrocities mm. because they've been quiet forever, and that's why this this goes under the radar. Uh, 19 June comes every year. 17 June comes every year. Mm. And uh, now somebody talks about this matter, and then it closes quickly, mm. you know. But then we, we we still want to know, you know, how this has affected people and affected the community, and has affected their future. Because you go yeah. to Bipatong today, it is the same Bipatong that that was in nineteen ninety two. Absolutely, and I think the mandate should be for the voices of those who are affected to be heard more than a, a finger pointing session at this point i think we've tried the t- uh, the trc we've tried the goldstone commission to try and figure why and and what and there'll always be conflicting reports on that which i think just puts salt to the wound so let's just focus on the lives that were changed mm. and getting them heard mm. lessons that south africa can learn from this massacre look what are they look i think we lend uh, as a as a country uh, we we lend from 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 the lesson of bipato um, and it were, there were green shoots, so I, I, I was quite happy about you know what happened after 1992 because now we, we got the, the democratization of the country, and the police force became a police service, uh, and and then there was no violence or police brutality for the longest time until Marigana. Mm. But then you can recall that Marigana happened under under you know circumstances where the police was no longer a service but a force again, because it was changed by General Kelly in 2009. Mm. Um, we we and I think we've regressed because you know between 1992 and 2012 there was no you know big cases where police were shooting people with live ammunition. Mm. Uh, but then you know, after Marigana, then we know we know what happened. And 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 I think for that we've gone back. We have incidences when when the service delivery uh, of of cases where some some you know people would claim that there was live ammunition shot uh, at, at demonstrators. You mm. know. Uh, so I think we still need to sort of we, we still need to go through a process of healing and a, a process of fixing things because I think over the past ten years the country has sort of gone about five steps back. And why is it important for young people to know about the Boibatong massacre and maybe as a way of addressing that regression? Mm. Be- because Boibatong happened, you know, uh, uh, simultaneously with the Kodesa negotiations. Mm. Um, our our negotiated uh, you know process that led to the democratization of the country. 
uh, you know, was wrought out of a time when Wipatong massacre happened. It happened to be the 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 last massacre because we've had we've had another one before, you know, with the with the pass books in 1960 mm. uh, in Shaville, which is by the way like a stone throw from from Bipatong. It's funny that the biggest massacres that ever happened here politically and 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 f- in the in the fight and struggle for liberation happened in two townships mm. that are so closest to each other. It's like walking distance. Mm. But when you look at those townships today, Asanda, you'd cry because nothing has moved. Nothing has changed. But, 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 but you know, incidences that happened in those places, they changed the course of South Africa's history. Yeah. Mr. Mlambo is calling us from Van der Bale Park. Uh, welcome, Mr. Mlambo. How are you? Hi, now. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Your, your question of views? Yeah, my question is an addition. Okay, right. If you can elaborate, you know, about the Shellas massacre. The Shellas massacre, you know, some of the people, even today, we do have widows, and that thing is not closed down, and it's past, part of it as well. And now, if it was done by the people who are enjoying the benefit of South Africa, and now it is forgotten. So now it's part of that. I mean, those people, their brains, I mean, I mean, if they are parted, I mean, inst- I mean, instill that thing of saying, okay, an African cannot respect another human life until it went to the Shell House massacre. So now it's part of it. I mean, if it is not closed down, these things will keep on reverberating. I mean, I mean, the children, the, the widows, they'll be told, your father died at the Shell House. And they'll, they'll grow up with the hatred. I mean, these things have to be addressed. And where did the Shell House massacre take place, Mr. Mlambo? In Johannesburg. Do you want to talk on that as well? Look, and, and thank you very much, uh, Mr. Mlamba, for, for, for the addition. Uh, I don't think it's really a question, but it's an addition. But I, I'd elaborate a little bit, Asanda, mm. uh, because I think the topic here is not, is not the Shell House uh, matter, but then we part of massacre. Shell House, the Inkata Freedom Party marched into town. Uh, and and because they were quite militant in their approach, mm-hmm. even though, and I think maybe it's, it's cultural as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when people march into the CBD of Johannesburg uh, with machetes and pangas and and spears, uh, and some of them, you know, with 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 guns, uh, and and they march directly to the headquarters of a political a, a, a particular political party. Um, n- nobody really knew what was going to happen. So it happened on that particular day in 1994. It was just before the elections mm. that, you know, the the other political party, which happened to be the ANC, defended what we now call the Thule House. It was Shell House then, um, mm. with live ammunition. And they shot at the demonstrators who happened to be Inkata Freedom, uh, in Freedom Party members. Mm. Um, and I don't think it, it, it has gone down history as a massacre. But but then uh, you know if if Mr. Mlambo thinks it was a massacre, then maybe you know he's justified to say whatever he wants to say. It's his, his opinion. But uh, I've not read about the Shell House, you know, having had the effect or the impact of a massacre. Mm. We've read about massacres, but I don't think Shell House was was a massacre. 
what constitutes a massacre? Then maybe we should break that down. As I mean, we we are saying we're educating uh, on the history of South Africa as part of Youth Month, and young people don't know these things. I mm. I also have to be honest and say mm. I didn't even know about uh, you know the Shell House massacre or mm. the Shell House incident of 1994. Mm. Look, I think I think a massacre, uh, and I, I stand to be corrected here. It's when innocent people are are murdered in a big sort of number. Um, so, so I think in this instance with the the Shell House matter, there was provocation, mm. you know, and and I won't say on on which side of the two conflicting political parties just before the elections, um, but the, 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 I think clearly there was some provocation that happened, and that's why there was retaliation, and mm. it, and and you know to show that the marchers who were supposed to be you know peacefully marching. Uh, they were also, you know, ready to fight because when when the other political party defended its headquarters, uh, the, there was retaliation from the so-called peaceful marchers as well. Mm. So, so there was a gunfight, uh, you know, in the CBD. And I remember, I, I, I recall this day quite vividly because I was, I was, I think, twelve years old. My mom had been in town uh, in Johannesburg, and she came in with her heels. She was wearing heels. They were all broken mm. because they had to run from Sour Street uh, into Bree Taxi Rank because because of the, the fighting that was happened. Mm. Uh, so I, I actually remember, you know, how she came into the house with walking barefooted. Um, quite a crazy history we have. It is, and and we need to really talk about these uh, stories more. Like you're saying, they're not as well documented as as they should be. Are you going to document this for us? Look, Are you I, going to spearhead this? Look, I, I the Boibatong massacre, that is. Look, and, and from a personal point of view, I, th- I think that the Boibatong massacre is, is just too big for me. But then, but then I, it, it, it had sort of an impact, a very negative impact in my family life. Mm. Uh, and I want to focus, you know, uh, more on that story. And I, I'd, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the Mail and Guardian, by the way, for, for publishing this story. A couple of years ago, and and I've gotten a lot of people asking me to to maybe go further into the research, and especially going into the police, you know, process. Mm. How how riot police officials were were selected, and 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 if if I can get into maybe the archives and see who, you know, were these people apart from my father, mm. um, are there people that are willing to talk about what happened on that particular night, mm. so that we can broaden up. This story, there could be so many Monaco debaters out there whose families were torn by, you know, the impact yeah. of this uh, of this massacre, and and maybe we can actually have a, a process where we have a, a book, yeah. you know, that comes out of this. It can be a collection of all our stories. So I'm basically inviting people who actually share the same story to to come up, and 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 we can work together in. in documenting this properly. We continue our chat on the Boipatong massacre that's of 17 June 1992 at the Joslovo informal settlement in Boipatong outside Ferenigeng where there was an attack by a group of armed men from Guamadala Hostel in nearby Sibukeng Township who were, I mean the armed men affiliated to the Inkata Freedom Party. Uh, so lots of views coming through. Now we've got Spoo calling from Peter Maritzburg. Welcome to the Viewpoint Spoo. Yes, yes, yes. Good evening, uh, uh, both of you. Aye. Yeah. Look, uh, 
I'm worried that you are, you are, you are talking about this thing. Uh, right now, I'm sitting here reading a book. It's called Redeeming the Past. It's written by Father Michael Lap- Lapley. And I talked about about it uh, in the show to Kaulani Kuala. And if you can't get hold of it, please read about it. But what I want to say is, guys, it seems as if we always talk about these things, which is a good thing. But I think really, 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 what is more in the core is, it's like we're sitting with a time bomb here. Mm. Because, like, when the guy we are with in the studio was explaining that he met a guy who was following some people whom he thought they were black, and yet he realized that they, they were white. Uh, if I can just stop track and come to recent, you know, things today, there's Mandela uh, tweet, and then the Hofmeyer uh, responses and whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, I found and you, my brother, there. I, mm. I think, honestly speaking, uh, there's a gap here. Mm. Because the TRC did its job a little bit, but it's not finished. Mm. And then we rushed into the country governing, people are stealing money, blah, 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 it's about money and everything. And mm. yet, this gap here, people are not healed. People mm. are, are, are hurt and whatsoever. And yet, it's like there's a certain group who is just sitting there, we don't know what they are doing, mm. and it is this they've got this power that we don't know what it is. Mm. And, and and honestly, I, I think that we need to deal with the matter. I don't know how, but the healing part of our people, really, we, we, we need to get on it. Please, thank you. If, if it can happen, my brother, mm. you, you get hold of this book I'm talking about, mm. Redeeming the Past. Mm. This guy did, it's done by Father Michael. Last week, I'm sure, we, last week I was in the healing process. He said, here's the processes, the babies, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I was so, so much surprised that I, I was still hang, angry mm. about the things that happened before, a long time ago, which I thought they have passed. But he needs, this this guy needs help. He's a he's, he's called Father Father Michael, mm. and I, I was sort of suspicious. But when I read the book and stayed with him, he was in France recently, recently in Italy with the book, and he's back in South Africa now in Peter. But what I'm saying is, we are sitting with a time bomb. Mm. We black people, we need to do something about that time bomb, and we need to do something for our people. Thank you, Vet. Thanks for your call, uh, Sbu. We're going to address this call in a bit. We need to take another short break. This is The Viewpoint. We're talking still the Boipatong massacre with Monaco Debate. Stay with us. This youth month, SABC Sport is calling for the best school war cries of 2019. If you think your school has the best gears, all you have to do is send your most epic school war video not more than a minute during your school sport event. Drop us an email to warcrychallenge at sabcsport.co.za to nominate your school. Remember to leave us your details. What's in it for the winners? Bragging rights for the winning school. A chance to rep your school on national television and the top three schools will all win a smart UHD TV set valued at 7,000 rand each.
competition entries close on the 21st of June 2019. Terms and conditions apply. Check out sabcsport.co.za for more details. Hashtag more cry challenge on SABC Sport. SABC Sport for the love of the game. North meets South in the explosive opening game of AFCON 2019 as hosts Egypt take on the Zimbabwean Warriors this Friday at 10 p.m. Live on SABC3 and your favorite SABC radio station. SABC is the official broadcaster of AFCON 2019, Africa's beautiful story. SAFM leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Well, we're doing that now with Monaco Debate and we're getting our wrap-up uh, comments or closing comments on the Buipatong massacre. Of course, you can still um, engage with us, uh, SMS us on 41391 and you can call in on 0891104207. So let's address who's called there, who called that for, us from Peter Maritzburg. I mean, and also, you know, it's the, the, the back and forth of going, because I also think Mike uh, alluded to the fact or to the recollection that, you know, the IFP members would not have just attacked. They were provoked in some, some way, somehow. And then Mr. Mlambo saying that Shell House was a massacre, but yet it was not really documented as a massacre. So, so clearly there were different experiences there on those things. But it's still ultimately the black parties not working together and attacking one another or black groupings attacking one another. Who says there needs to be healing and, and we need to find or get to the bottom of why we're turning against each other as blacks? Look, and I agree completely. We need to be, you know, agents of healing, uh, regardless of of you know your pol- political affiliation or your, you know, your your race or whatever. Um, but it is important at the same time to note that um, what led to this conflict between the two parties um, it was you know fighting for territory. Mm. So now there's this very political, uh, traditional, militant party coming out of Guazul, um, you know, pulling out of, 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 of the elections, uh, the 1994 elections, uh, because they don't want to be part of it. Mm. Uh, because they feel as though, you know, the Mandela party, the ANC, um, you know, is, t- is trying to sort of, you know, to, to claim the liberation of the people of South Africa, um, and then and then of course there's this element that likes this kind of of viewpoint mm. uh, and says, look, uh, here's a, a strong political party, and here's a, a very strong liberation movement as well that had just come out of of, of, of exile and uh, and they're fighting, and all of them are powerful, um, and I think maybe that it goes back to what the Goldstone Commission pointed at the third force, taking advantage of a situation mm. um, and making it, you know, cause instability in the country. Um, so, so so, the problem started there, where, you know, the ruling party back then, which had the power to control the police, the the, the army and all of those, to, to come in and, and quell the fire and make the two parties to meet each other where it didn't do that. Mm. You know, instead... All these institutions that fell under the government or were in the order of the government did not do that. Instead, they, 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 they basically made the situation worse. Yeah. And, and that's why, that's why they, this element of, of, of the third force in this whole thing. So, so, so black political movements were made to fight over territory 
which you know had we all sat down together would have easily done it in the African way of sitting under a tree and saying, but then look, we have differences. How do we meet each other halfway? Mm. But it never happened. Instead, there were killings in the Western, uh, there were killings in the in the Eastern. You know, everybody can remember what happened at Kumalo Street in, in Gatlehong and what was happening in Beckerstal and Gahiso Township and some other townships in the Reef. Um, a lot of people lost their lives. Mm. Uh, and then, and it was still this element of the hostel, you know, the hostel. How about you know people who, who hated, what they were seeing, in the reef. And here the movement was very clear. We are fighting for for the, the liberation of the country. We want Mandela to become the next president of the country. But then this this very small part of our townships here in the reef, um, was 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 pulling the other way, mm. you know. And and that's when I think. And I won't say the police, but I, I would say, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put it as the third force. So an opportunity yeah. to make the country unstable. Do we have an opportunity to change things around? Is there still time to do what wasn't done back then? Uh, as who says, we are in a ticking time bomb. Can we sort of, uh, I don't know, stop the bomb from going off? Look, look I, don't, I don't quite understand, you know, how... Uh, you know, we think would think that we are like a ticking time bomb, but and I think a lot of good work has happened uh, in this country. You know, the kind of violence that we used to have, politically motivated violence that we used to have, you know, pre nineteen ninety four, we don't get it anyway. Mm. Uh, we don't have it, you know, you know, in our days today. Um, we we are we are dealing with other things, and I think he alluded to the to the issues of corruption that have been you know plaguing our our government and our state-owned entities. But but then, I, I think as a people, there's still a lot of healing to happen because I think apartheid had, had done quite a lot of damage, and it continues unfortunately now economically. Uh, there's so many things that we can still achieve. Uh, as one nation uh, and yeah. I think the, the, the nation building process um, you know that started in 1994 uh, had had done a lot of good work there was so much traction mm. and I said you know earlier on that the past 10 years had been different you know everything that we had achieved as a country we took about five steps back if, if not 100 by the way uh, but then there's still so much that you can salvage we can yeah. still save the situation. Let's leave it on the positive note. Thank you so much again for coming through, Monaco. We appreciate your time here on SFM. Thank you very much. Monaco Dibetle is a former journalist and PR and marketing specialist, uh, businessman as well. All right, so it's time for news now. Nine o'clock, over to Greg Hose.